hoity-doody little buckaroo. To you, like animals, we sure do. So come on down to the weekly meeting of the Animal Fan Club. Cuckoo, cuckoo. The cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. <laughs> and open the door to join us for the ninth meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm concerned about your throat, Mike. I'm a horse by committee, Meredith. <laughs> and we meet every week in our clubhouse. We like to call the Dalmatian Station <laughs> to talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise and physical health, we make up for in unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow! <laughs> so saddle up Devin and sure horse and hold on. For uh, the furriest fin filled and feathered podcast in all the kingdom animalia. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to have a little frog in my throat. That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we got to do it. We got to do the it. The show Otherwise, must go on. <laughs> we don't record right now. Then you <laughs> will be sitting there alone on, on New Year's Eve just upset and disappointed that we haven't you know gotten to share our animal updates with all of you so. i know it's it, it would be so sad and there's so much to talk about i feel like in the world of animals it's true i just have to point out that your beverage is in a porcupine mug it's it, a hedgehog oh it's a hedgehog he's a sleepy hedgehog it sounds like his quills have kind of yeah, dumped they're... out into the liquid <laughs> in the cup and that you're drinking them <laughs> <laughs> they've all lodged into my throat but it's no big deal I would like to say to you, Meredith, that, you know, we were talking about Sloth Spazzies, the new brand clubby uh, sloth. Upper. I recently went into a drugstore and I bought some new sour gummy treats that are in the shape of sloths. What? It was as if Sloth Spazzies had just landed in my life. Oh, my gosh. That's so fun. Did they really put a pep in your slow step? They sure did. Oh, fun. Are they like a particular fruit flavor? They're like those neon gummy worms. I think it's the trolley yeah. brand oh where gosh. it's like I kind of that those. magenta and blue or that green and blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh. like that but in sloth form. And they kind of are in a pose where they look like they're coming out of a barrel of monkeys. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yeah, it's super fun. I love that. I want those. And it is trolley brand? I believe so, yes. Trolley sloths? Trolley sloths. Sour sloths? Sour trolley sloths. Cute. Yeah. I just feel like there have been so many little things on like Insta or whatever that are fun animal things. And that might date this podcast a little bit, but I, I'm, I've i still been following the saga of the cowboy hats on the pigeons. That's right in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. And so if you go to Lofty Hopes, I think is the name of the organization that is going through great pains to capture these pigeons because the, the hats are super glued onto their heads. Like, initially, I was like, oh, my God, that's hilarious and so cute. They look like such jaunty little cowboys. But someone fucking super glued those things on. That's so mean. Like, had yeah. to catch the pigeons, super glue them on the heads. And, and then, then re-release them. them. It's crazy. So, I think it's been a few weeks now. And, like, the hats are looking all, like, grimy. Like, because they're just exposed to the elements. But I think they caught one and they were using oil to, like, slowly dissolve the super glue on the dome feathers that's <laughs> poor buddies up. yeah it's poor buddies i mean it's a cute in concept it's like a cute comic book drawing illustration moment right but in real life it is just cruel 
Yeah, I mean, it's like Sharon the Gila monster with her tiny pink cowboy hat. Right. Yeah, I remember her. And she didn't. She was pretty miserable. Well, she had never even half seen the vet. She had never half seen the vet. And then the other one I've been following, the other journey I've been following is Cinderblock, the fat gray cat. Oh. Do you know, have you seen this? I don't think I have, no. Oh, Mike, it's so cute. It's this overweight kitty at a vet, I think, on the West Coast. So they've been trying to get her, um, she's kind of like a big girl, um, big kitty weight loss ambassador because they're really documenting her weight loss journey. So they were trying to put her on the treadmill. Oh my God, she's huge. But she's so beautiful. With that like gorgeous blue harness, just looking up at the camera, like, let's get to it. Let's do it. But the first video of her on that treadmill is like the most classic thing ever, if you can find it, where she's just using one paw. The guy in the background's like, oh, you working out? Oh, oh, yeah. It's like an underwater treadmill, and it's this chonky cinder block-sized cat that's gray like a cinder block, yeah. and it's kind of sitting down with just one paw on the treadmill. I know. It's the cutest. I think she's really become a big inspiration for just everybody, just representing all the, all the feels we have towards working out. Yeah. And self-improvement going into the new year. Right. Res- it's resolution time. It is resolution time. I've been relatively good about going to the gym recently. So I'm now in the camp of, oh, all these resolution people are going to show up and they're going to make me wait for machines in January, it's, rah, rah, rah. It's true. What we used to say, because I used to work at the YMCA, is it was always really, really, really busy at the start of the year. But by Valentine's Day, everything would die out. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. So you just wait it out. Wait it out till V-Day. I'm going to be as patient as I possibly can be. Meredith, I have an important date correction because I think that this is an important thing for us to discuss. Okay. That we've confused the dates for Martha's death with the Titanic and the U.S. entering World War I. Oh, all these momentous events. The Titanic sunk in 1912. Martha, the last passenger pigeon, died in 1914. Okay. The U.S. entered World War I in 1917. Okay. Wow. You know what? I'll never forget that now. Yeah. Now that that's all worked out in my mind. Right. Same. So the Titanic was before World War I. Martha was like, you guys started fighting. I'm out of here. And then the U.S. entered the war three years after Martha died. They were so upset. Right. It was a three-year grieving period. And they're like, okay, let's do it. Yeah, we're ready now. Let, let's get to it. Fight. <laughs> Fight. Thank you for that, Mike, for opening the barn doors of Correction Barn. You're very welcome, Meredith. Well, I guess, should we just jump right into it? Let's do it. Ready? Okay. Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who? Texana, me. Kingdom. Animalia. There are raison d'etre. Phylum. Cordata. Oh, that's a cute spine. Class. Reptilia. Like our dino friends. Order. Testudines. They live in the pocket. Family. Shelly day. Their necks full sideways. Genus. Shellus. Strike and gape hunters. Species. Shellus. Fimbriata. The weirdest of all the turtles. It's a mata mata. <laughs> well, a mata mata? A mata mata turtle. And I just want to show you this because this, this picture. So I found... I wasn't really sure what to do this week, and so I just went on the Cincinnati Zoo's website and just kind of looked through their reptile offerings because I knew I wanted to do a reptile. Mm. And then I found this sweet little guy. Oh, look at how cute he is. Look at that smile. He's so (laughs) spiny with that, like, moss growing on his shell, and then he's kind of turning sideways, and he's like, "Mm." (laughs) mmm. 
<laughs> He's pretty cute. So, like, we can actually talk about all of these things. Yeah, so this is the Mata Mata turtle, and he lives at the zoo in Cincinnati. Meredith, how many times did you say Shellis in that? I know. Isn't that funny? So, family is Shelly Day. Okay. The order that all the turtles go into is the Testudines. They live in the pocket. Testudines? Testudines. Hmm. And then when we get into family, it's Shelly Day. That's fun. so cute, right? Like Shelly? Yeah. Which was the name of the turtle on Strangers with Candy. I was going to (laughs) say. And then what was the name of the lobster? Was that Clawson? Clawson. You just happen to hit on my favorite thing ever. Shelly. <laughs> um, so when we get to the family of Shelly Day, this is where the turtles break down a little bit. The turtles we think of, just kind of like your standard box turtles you sure. find in the backyard, they will fold their necks, kind of they retract them like straight back. Whereas the Shelly Day, they bring their necks or they bring their heads into their shells by folding them sideways. Oh. Yeah, which I didn't realize that was a distinction amongst the turtle friends. When you started talking about that, I was thinking of muscles and stuff, but because because you had said cordata, I knew that it couldn't be a muscle. Right. These guys have a really, really long neck. Like if you look at an overhead view of these guys, it's very strange looking. Hmm. Um, but the neck folds in sideways, which I didn't know was a possibility. Um, and then we go to the genus, which is Shellis, Strike and Gape Hunters, which I thought was a very funny. Strike and Gape. Strike and Gape. So we'll talk about what that means. Oh. Yeah, because this guy has a very interesting mechanism for all of that. And then the species is the Shellus fimbriata. Fimbriata. Shellus fimbriata. Yeah, Shellus fimbriata, the Mata Mata turtle. So the order, family, and genus are all Shelly. Mm-hmm. That's super fun. Shellies. Yeah, we're all Shellies today. Yeah, so like I said, these are this I got this from the Cincinnati Zoo. So that picture is like the one from the zoo. Uh-huh. And I was trying to find if it had a name, but it wasn't listed on the website. It was I like see. the first thing I wanted to know. And I contemplated emailing them, but then I was like, it's the Festival of Lights at the Cincinnati Zoo. They have bigger things to worry about. I won't bog down their inboxes with this bullshit. I'm not sure that we have enough cred yet to start reaching out to actual zoologists. I know. We'll get there. I keep plugging the Cincinnati Zoo because I just love it so much yeah, but maybe we can come up with like a sponsorship deal or do a residency oh my god can we record live from the cat house that would be the best oh with our bear cat friend yeah lucy we can bring all the different kinds of popcorn and yeah. find out we'll find out we'll do a smell test right then and there perfect so actually I, this is again going to be a great way into some fun turtle vocab that i had no idea about so there's a lot of like fun things that we can talk about as i kind of talk through what this guy looks like which is very strange looking it's the strangest turtle i've ever seen so let's start with the tubercles so you mentioned that this turtle looks like really spiny uh-huh the shell itself is kind of knobby and pointy but the actual skin portions of this turtle he's covered in tubercles which are just essentially like protrusions tubercles tubercles whoa yeah bumpy protrusions all over the skin so these guys and it really helps them in terms of like camouflage so the head from above kind of looks like a big leaf because it's just got all this like roughage looking stuff around the face these tubercles so as it's a sedentary creature like they don't need much roaming room they don't move around much they just kind of sit i'll get into how they eat in a moment so these guys just really blend in and then you saw the moss all over the back yeah they just look like the detris at the bottom of these like slow moving streams and stagnant pools that they live in it's very derelict 
it is very derelict. And that face it was giving was very like turtle steel. And so also contributing to this um, leaf-like look on its face, they have these face flaps. So that's kind of more of these weird protrusions coming off. It has a little horn on its snout. They like to sit in water where they can kind of like poke their horn up and breathe. Oh. So these are shallow water. They, these guys hang out in the shallow end for sure. Yeah. So they can just, they don't really have to move much. They don't have to swim to the top to breathe. They just stick that little horn, that little nose Their little horn. nose snorkel? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. Here's a word. Barbels. Or I don't think they're barbells. I think it's barbels. So the this turtle has them. This is also what we think of as like the whiskers on a catfish. Uh-huh. They're little sensory things around the mouth. And they're different than vibrissae? Different like from Vibrisse, yeah. These aren't whiskers. These oh. are like actual like skin protrusions again, but they're sensory. Because like a whisker is a hair. And right. so this is actually part of the skin, but it's the same concept as a whisker. Kind of, yeah. So it's not hair-like. It's kind of more of like a big skin tag that can sense, you know? Oh, yeah. Because we both have, we have both of those, right? Humans do. I don't know about your skin tag situation, Mike, but. I, yeah, I don't really like have that many, I guess. That's great. Or like they're small or whatever, but I, yeah. I wouldn't know whether or not one is like sensory. I don't think they're very sensory. But you can't, like, wiggle it around and say, like, oh, the wind's coming from the southeast. Right. Whereas <laughs> opposed to now with my ample Vibrisse as I've been growing out yeah. my Vibrisse, I can kind of just point my chin skyward and know the direction of the wind. Right, right. Yeah. Mm. I think it's just, yeah, they're, they're similar in theory, but the material out of which they're created is different. There's no follicle involved with the uh, barbel. So now let's talk shells. I'm ready. The technical name for the top of the shell is the carapace. Carapace. Yeah, so that's upper shell. And then plastron is the lower shell. The plastron? Yeah, isn't that cool? So the plastron is on the ventral surface? Yes. So ah! the, the carapace is dorsal and the plastron is ventral. Oh, my God. So we have dorsal and ventral shells. Yeah. Take, for instance, in sports, in baseball, uh-huh. the catcher wears a padding yes. on their ventral surface. They do. Which is analogous to this word that I've already forgotten. Plastron. Plastron. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Catchers totally are like pulling a turtle. Yeah. Catchers are definitely giving you like a plastron moment. Totally. I've, I would have never put that together, but I love it coming from a baseball city cool i like that image okay i think that covers our vocab let's get into this idea of the like the strike and gape hunting yeah what's up with that this is such a cool thing so these turtles like i mentioned they live in these stagnant pools and they just kind of hang out they're not gonna like run after their prey they just sit and sit and sit and sit and that's what makes a gumby turtle we're just that's a little foreshadowing for our cats okay our cats journey yeah coming up. we do have to go on a cat's journey let's <laughs> just just wait we haven't we haven't seen it yet listeners but we're going to see it and we're going to tell you what we think of it yeah we're going to have a whole segment on it because yeah. this is a big moment for both of us yeah you have no idea how excited we are <laughs> So they sit, and what they do when they sense that a fish is coming, because actually their eyesight's actually pretty well tuned up, um, and they generally hunt kind of in the twilight time of day. So what they do when they sense a fish is coming by, they outstretch, like strike, they uh-huh. stretch their long neck out, and then they gape their mouth. Oh. And what this does is this like quick opening. It creates something of a vacuum in the water and it just literally like sucks the fish in. So like if you know Kirby oh. from like the Nintendo Kirby. I do. You go, hey, hey, hey. 
and suck in his stuff. But that's kind of what the turtle does to the fish. Creates a vacuum, sucks him up, and just swallows him whole. Okay, so Kirby's maneuver of opening the mouth and then like creating a sort of vacuum and sucking mm-hmm. in his opponent is exactly how turtles... These turtles. These particular turtles feed, where they just open their mouth and they suck in the fish and then they close their mouth. Yeah, so they don't, I, don't, I don't think they're really doing any sucking themselves. It's like a vacuum is just kind of ah. naturally created by the like shape and the rapid opening of their mouth right. in the water. Which again, these evolutionary traits that have slowly come about in these animals just continue to astound me. Yeah, definitely. It's just such a wonder of this world. And actually, this is where all this camouflaging on their bodies really helps them. It's because they just get to sit and hang out and they just look like leaves. They look like a mossy rock at the bottom of a stream. So the fish is like, doo-doo-doo, swimmy, swimmy, swimmy. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Gulp. And it's lights out for right. that fish. Yeah. I guess the moral of the story is don't swim near any rocks. Yeah. Don't swim, fish. Like, stay put. Stay put. Yeah. Easy for us to say. Right. And now I just want to talk about the mating because it's kind of similar, but I think it sounds hilarious. So these guys will, again, kind of do that long striking motion with their long necks. They open their mouth and then they flap their cheek flaps. <laughs> <laughs> To lure a mate, which I I couldn't find any sort of like video of this, but I mean, this sounds great, but I don't know, like they didn't really go into any details about like mounting or claspers or ovipositors or anything like that. Like we got with the praying mantis, but you know, maybe some things are just best left to the imagination in terms of these funny mating habits. Yeah, I guess I don't really, I can't really even imagine, but you know, whatever. I'll let them have some secrets. I mean, you seemed so interested in turtle sex a few weeks ago. So it's kind of funny that you're just like glossing over it right now. Had, I, how really quickly I forget. I think I, I chose to forget that one. They kind of, they go, they sound like this, right? They're like. Yeah, so I don't know what kind of vocalizations these matamatas have. That was, again, not mentioned. But maybe as an underwater creature, you still really like. Yeah, it's like. Or maybe it just sounds like Kirby. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that sound is so pleasurable for the listening audience. And then one last little thing. So these guys are actually, um, they're freshwater creatures, but it said they can maybe survive in brackish water, but whatever. Sure. Because they're actually, they don't need a lot of space and they're so funky looking. They're very popular in the exotic pet trade because Uh I guess it's kind of a cool thing to have such a goofy looking creature, but I just don't know. I feel, I don't like the exotic pet trade. I think it's criminal on a lot of levels because we don't really have the means to take care of these wild creatures but it's a whole other episode yeah so maybe one day you'll be in some like shady apartment in the bronx and then you'll see a, an aquarium with one of these guys smiling at you well i'm i'm gonna keep my fingers crossed that i get to <laughs> meet one of these one of these fun turtles maybe even in the bronx Who maybe knows? in the bronx exactly um, yeah well, that's really wonderful. I guess let's um, I guess let's take a break. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Good afternoon, Lewis. You're looking dapper as always. Thanks, Kirby. I've always felt that as the walrus with the largest tusk in my social group, I should also be the most fashionable. I notice that your glasses always match your couture looks. How do you afford so many pairs of frames? Well, Kirby, I use Walby Barker, the new web-based eyewear company for walruses. 
It was founded by a group of Walri who felt a fashionable eyewear should be available to Walri of modest means. How marvelous! Do they have bivalve proof bifocal technology? That's an important feature to me as I need bifocals and also have a history of scratching lenses while rubbing my vibrisse on the ocean floor, hunting for bivalves. Of course they do, Kirby. This is a walrus company after all. They understand the needs of the Pinnipedia community. Hot damn! Ordering is easy. Just download the app Apex Eyewear, use it to scan your face for a proper fit, select some styles, and the new frames will arrive in less than a week. You can keep the frames you love and send back the others via our partner, Phytoplankton Couriers, LLC. Wow, what a great fashion secret. Now I'll be just as dapper as you are. Listen, Kirby, I still have the largest tusk in the social group, so calm down. Yeah, cool, Lewis. We all know. Use code LEWIS10 at checkout to save 10%. Haiku. Here are some animal poem for you. Cool. This is called Serengeti Spaghetti. Everyone comes to belly up to yet another savanna buffet where the nectar of the gods pools, puddles, and crusts in the brutal sun. A veritable who's who of carnivores come trotting to the trough following their noses, slouching towards their meal du jour, their blue plate special. And what luck, if it isn't the blue-tinged entrails of a wildebeest spread out upon a bed of hot sand. A favorite among the connoisseurs of carrion, the circling vultures and giggling hyenas. It's Serengeti spaghetti, a desert delicacy, wild-caught and prepared by Chef Lion. This poem is called First Date, Last Date. That was a fun story about your childhood gerbil. I enjoyed hearing about Captain Nibbles. They sound like fun. Oh, now you want to hear about my first pet? Well, I want to tell you about my first pet, but I can't because that would compromise my e-security. I can't tell you where the pet was obtained nor under what circumstances. I can't describe the physical attributes of the pet nor share any photographs. I can't describe the ambulatory nature of the pet, nor their diet. And perhaps the greatest sadness is that I absolutely cannot share their name. The internet is a pet cemetery bereft of adequate memorials. Quails, quatrains. We hope you found solace in our refrains. Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who? Texana, me. Kingdom. Animalia. Duh, it's totally a creature. Phylum. Stanophora. Marine invertebrates. Swim with cilia. Class. Tenticulata. They have tentacles. Order. Lobata. Short tentacles, flat lobes. Family. Bolinopsidae. The plot thickens. Genus. Maniopsis. It's warty. Little species. Little. The warty comb jelly. 
AKA the Sea Walnut. Oh. <laughs> Wait, what was that? It sounds like some Korean beauty product. What was that? The little jelly? The warty comb jelly. Yeah, warty. that could be the warty cone. Comb. It's so comb. it's W A R T Y, like wart. Yeah. Wart, replete with warts. Yeah. And then oh. comb, like Tricles. what you comb your hair with. Or okay. What I, some people comb their hair with. <laughs> and then jelly, like those cute sandals that you're wearing. Yeah. Warty comb jelly. Oh my God. Yeah. That's totally a Korean beauty product. It does sound like it. I just felt like 2019 couldn't end for me without us including animals that are not in the insect or, you know, vertebrate world. Uh, Right, right. Because even as we've explored invertebrates, they've mostly been, you know. Insecty day. So this, the Tenophora, C-T-E-N-O-P-H-O-R-A. Okay, I believe you. They're invertebrates. <laughs> they live in marine water around the world, and they use cilia to swim, which okay. are like tiny little hairs. Yeah. Okay. So they're the cilia are arranged in a row, and they look like a comb, which is why they are called comb jellies. Okay. Unlike the other jelly uh, phylum, the snidaria, which is... <laughs> na, 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 na. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is spelled C-N-I-D-A-R-I-A, Snidaria. So the Stenophora are what we're talking about, and the Snidaria are the other jellies. Those are the ones that sting. Oh, okay. The ones that we're talking about do not sting. Oh. The phylum that we're in. And the those were once together in one phylum, the Colenterata but then they've been divided as we've understood more. These are like pretty small. So we're really only talking about a body length of like three to five inches. Okay. And a diameter of about one inch. They have a lobed body that's oval shaped and transparent. And Mm. they have four rows of these combs like along the four lobes. They kind of look like maybe like a, well, the sea walnut. They kind of look like a walnut. But you know how a star fruit has like, those like shapes, yeah. like how it's kind of like if you cut it in half, it would be like a star. That's kind of yeah. what these things look like, but they're they're four lobes. Okay. Kind of around, like if you look at the cross section of it. Yeah, sure, sure. They're native to Western Atlantic coastal waters, but they've become established in European and Western Asian regions. Okay. And I think it's kind of interesting how they've moved around like throughout the years. It was uh, introduced to the Black Sea in the 1980s, and they think that was from like ballast water and merchant ships. Oh, because so you would know, just get sucked up in there and then re-released. Right, and there's now like regulations about like where you can dump ballast water and everything oh. like that, but um, maybe they're not always accurately enforced, or you know, maybe it's impossible to enforce them. Yeah. In 1999, the species was introduced in the Caspian Sea via the unified (laughs) deep water system of European Russia, which is this system of waterways in eastern Russia to connect major uh, waterways so that they can transport large ships, even like warships through the region. But like man-made waterways? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, or existing waterways that they've dug deeper. Okay, gotcha. And connected, they've connected all of them willy-nilly. 2006 in the North Sea, Baltic Sea... (laughs) So were any of these like a purposeful uh, migration or was it all just kind of happened by happenstance? It all just kind of happened by happenstance. The animal's kind of small. And then they, you know, a meter is pretty big. It's about three feet. So like a cubic meter is like three feet by three feet by three feet. Okay. 
So it's like 27 cubic feet of water, approximately. They've counted up to 100 animals per cubic meter of water in the Baltic, whereas in the North Sea, that's a much lower density of like four animals per cubic meter. But I mean, if you think about like 100 animals, it's like, you know, this table is maybe a meter square and maybe a meter off the ground. And that's just like 100 individual creatures just kind of swimming around in that tank. So are they like maybe like this, like smaller than my fist? Yeah. Maybe like I could fit like two or three in this? Yeah. I think like three to five inches long and like one inch in diameter. We're talking about like a grocery store, like sausage. <laughs> As opposed to a butcher sausage? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like the okay. the ones that are prepackaged, not the ones that you have to go to the deli counter for. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. It's a pretty adaptable creature, obviously, and mm-hmm. it was. Um, it, we we have a new word. Of course, I have no idea how to say it. Euryosis. It's also like all <laughs> these Greek words. It's e u r y o e c i o u s. Euryosis. That's cute. It means it can tolerate a wide variety of conditions, like oh. living conditions. Apparently, there's a measurement of salinity with the PSU is the unit. Okay. And they can tolerate a range of salinity 2 to 38 PSU. Okay. I don't know what that means. And it can tolerate a wide range of temperatures, 36 degrees to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 2 degrees to 32 degrees Celsius. It's like freezing to like 90 degrees. That's a huge gap. It's a really huge water difference. And water quality, they're like pretty chill. I always think of the cockroach as kind of like the apex of evolution, oddly, because they're just so adaptable and that's why they've been around so long is because they can just do whatever. Uh-huh. They're so, they can make it where anywhere, uh-huh. especially New York. You can make it here. You can make it anywhere. Right. It's true. So maybe these guys are similar to that. I think that's probably true. I mean, that's probably why they've lasted so long. You yeah. Know? This seems to be like a pretty early species. Yeah. It seems very prehistoric in the way that you describe it. Yeah. And um, so what does it eat? It's a carnivore. It eats oh. zooplankton, including crustaceans, other comb jellies, eggs, larvae of, of fish, smaller individuals of its own kind. Wow. Yeah. Wait, they, so they cannibalize other comb jelly babies? Mm-hmm. Oh, you said that just so like, oh, yeah, of course they do. Well, it's a different moral compass That's being true. a jellyfish. Yeah, I shouldn't. I don't know if I it's actually a fish. I don't think I should call it a jellyfish. I think it's not a it's fish. It's a comb jelly. Because fish are cordatas. Right. And there ain't no backbones here, baby. I know your interest is like, well, but what happens when like one comb jelly and another comb jelly just are feeling some sort of connection and maybe yeah you know you know that's what i was thinking about i actually couldn't really find anything about their reproductive habits but i found that they have the capacity for self-fertilization oh they are hermaphroditic so they have gonads that contain ovaries and spermatophore branches in their gastrodermis (laughs) (laughs) right okay gastrodermis i don't know i guess i should know what that gastro is probably like stomach something maybe that's analogous to the peritoneum like the sac that holds all your organs oh okay yeah. They can self-fertilize, which is kind of crazy. They carry 150 eggs along these egg canals. They release the egg and the sperm into the water column where external fertilization takes place. And the spawning commences at late evenings or at one or two in the morning. <laughs> it's so exact. The spawning eggs develop a thick outer layer within one minute after touching the seawater. 
And oh. as many as 10,000 eggs can be produced by large specimens in areas with good prey abundance. Wow. I don't know what most of that. Like, I don't I actually have like a way to understand it. And yeah, I love that they're like at like 1 or 2 a.m. Like the witching hour passes <laughs> right. and then we just start spawning. Gosh, the specialization of all these guys is just remarkable, as I've said earlier. I guess what I'm curious is, what is this water column that the eggs and sperm are released into? Yeah, is it like internal? I think it might be, because they are kind of shaped like a little bit like, um, I'm holding up my hand like a squid almost. Okay, squid hands. Yeah, tentacles, (laughs) squid hands. I'm going to look it up. I just have to look it up. Oh, well, I... here. Actually, I have some photos for Okay. You. Yeah, because I really am having a hard time picturing this. Check out the oracles and the oral lobe. And there's a mouth, too. Oh, what? It's clear. And it, you can see the little hairs. And you can kind of just see, like, a simple network of connections on the inside. But it is mostly a mystery. It's just kind of like a gelatinous. Yeah. Something like 98% water. It's like that Ani DeFranco song. Which Ani DeFranco song? Oh, I think that's 78% water. Oh, that would make more sense. Yeah. I can't say that this has really given me any more <laughs> I know. I've, I have to say, just looking at the photos of it, it's you can see the cilia. You could see how it's lobal, how I was talking about yeah. that. It's, like yeah. four, it's kind of in like four quadrants. And then maybe the water column is like the thing in the middle. But like, Oh, that I don't, would make sense. I don't even know. And like the A shot and the B shot is really funny because I think the B shot is maybe like an up the skirt shot. Yeah. But it's really hard to make any sense of it. (laughs) These creatures are baffling. Yeah, totally. So they have a transient anus. (laughs) Okay. Which is a great name for a punk band. I know. I was, I did. I immediately went to, oh, that's a band name. We are transient anus. Fuck you. Hello, Cleveland. Let's hear you scream, Cleveland. (laughs) What this actually means is that its anus only appears when it needs to defecate. (laughs) And then it disappears after it's It's done pooping. Wait, what's that? It's like Brigadoon. (laughs) Wait, can you? I've actually never seen Brigadoon. I I don't know if you know this about. I've never seen it. I don't really know anything about it other than that it's like a mythical Scottish land that only appears like every once in a while when conditions are right or Uh something. I see. I feel like it's an often derided, like I feel like I've encountered several people that are always like, oh yeah, we did Brigadoon. And they always kind of have that look in their eyes of like, oh, if you weren't there, you don't understand it. But it does, it just seems like it's always a ridiculous, like just the very concept of it is so absurd that doing it can't help but be ridiculous. Yeah. I actually kind of love those moments, especially in like theater I'm participating in because it's like you had to be there to know it transient anus okay here we go there so there's no like permanent connection between the gut and the rear of the body like what our intestines are yeah and so when waste like builds up the gut gets bigger and kind of balloons out until it touches the outer layer of skin, the epidermis. Uh-huh. And then the gut and the epidermis briefly fuse, forming an anal opening. And then the poop comes out. And then once the excretion is complete, the process is reversed, right? So the gut gets smaller because there's not enough poop in it. And yeah. then the dermis and the gut separate and the anus vanishes. What the fuck? The animal defecates at regular intervals once an hour in the adults and then once every 10 minutes or so in the larva. Oh, wow. Okay. Active systems in the larva. 
<laughs> so this is news. This was in a paper published on February 22nd, 2019. Oh, wow. Very recent. And the title of the paper is Defecation by the Stenophore Nemiopsis Lidial Occurs <laughs> with an Altradian Rhythm Through a Single Transient Anal Pore. And it has one of our vocabs words in it, Altradian, which we learned is like when you eat and then you sleep. Like it's it's relating to your food rhythm. Okay, so it's not circadian rhythm, it's all tradian. Yeah, it's relative to the food as opposed to relative to the sun. Okay, oh, fun. Isn't that fun? Wait. I was so excited to like understand the title of the paper. Can we back it up? Did you say anal pore? Anal pore. Meaning like a pore of liquid or like a pore on your skin? Well, like a pore on your skin, like an opening. Oh, okay. I just want to refer to all poops as anal pores now. I'm going to go do a pour over on the toilet. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, sometimes you have an anal pore if you're not eating right, you know. Exactly. The abstract of this paper is pretty easy to read, honestly. It's it's really straight ahead and understandable. But there's uh, this kicker of a line at the end. The temporality of a visible anal pore in this delicious creature is novel and may shed light on the evolution of a permanent anus and through gut in animals. So in that way, it's interesting because it's kind of at this point where like it never developed a permanent like through system. Yeah. And so it's just like an interesting stop on the evolutionary path. I love that. Isn't it nice? It is nice. I just have one final fun fact. Okay. And that is that this species moves so slowly that it's referred to as the sea walnut. Okay. Why does that have to do with slow? I guess walnuts <laughs> are not fast swimmers, Meredith. No. Nope. I, they are not known for that that I know of. I, I know not of it myself. <laughs> so I do have a question. Sure. I did look up what this looks like, not in like a diagram. Does it... So it's means of locomotion. It just kind of like expands and then... No, it doesn't. It uses those hairs. The cilia oh, that's what does on its it. four lobes and its little okay. hairs wiggle and that propels it through the water. Oh, I see. Not much faster than a walnut. I was just wondering if it had like a Martha Graham thing. It was a lot of like expand, <clears throat> contract. No. Expand, contract to get through the water. No, there are other jellies that are that way, right. certainly. But this, again, it's like almost cylindrical or something. Yeah. That's my impression of it. Yeah, that's what it looks like. But in looking at these pictures, they're so, they look very pretty. They are um, pretty. They're almost like kind of iridescent and glowing. Yeah, there's a little bit of iridescence going on for sure. But I would say this, prob- this like water column, is that what that was? Yeah, I think that's it. It looks like it probably is running through the center. That's what I think, too. Maybe that's yeah. where the egg fertilization happens. But I really don't understand. Okay. This is a good example of something where I'm looking at it and I just like can't completely wrap my head around it. Like, Seriously. I just, I just don't have enough understanding, at least with mammals and everything, you know, or, or chordata in general and insects. Like, there's this concept. But with this, there's also like eight other phylums. Like, here I was thinking that I was doing the last remaining phylum and then I saw that there's eight other ones that we haven't even really gotten into at all. Just crazy. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. This is nuts. Because I think even with like insects, we can almost relate a little more because there's arms and a face that we can still kind of anthropomorphize somehow, make sense of somehow according to our own orientation within the world. But we see things like this that are just like like weird little like amorphous tube things that don't have faces, don't have arms, don't locomote the same way. Is right. that a verb? Locomote. <laughs> Locomote. I'll take it. Yeah, you I'll know verb what I, it. You know what I mean. I do. 
it's so yeah that's why like see like sea stuff is just so frightening to me because it's so alien trey alienique yes i think that's why some really um but like why why go into space when there's just this vast universe on our own earth that is completely alien as well Hmm. well i like that sentiment let's learn more about the sea yeah i don't know that i necessarily want to know all of it because it does scare me a little bit yeah a little sea phobic uh yeah i don't know i'm a little I, I grew up like right on a large body of water you know so i'm used to that but that's a lake it's not this it's not like an yeah. ocean oceans are terrifying right same yeah i feel the same way i've always just been a little bit creeped out by the things that live there because they are so hard for me to wrap my mind around mm. but maybe i just need to open up and just be less bitchy about the ocean I'm not going to disagree with that. I've opened <laughs> up and become less bitchy about pigeons. Oh, did you see my shirt? I did. It's a Christmas pigeon shirt. It's a Santa pigeon. Oh, look at him. Passageing all of his <laughs> presents around the world. Also, I was in Cincinnati this past weekend and I saw the beautiful passenger pigeon mural that's on the side of a building. It's really gorgeous. Yeah, you sent that picture. Yeah, I love it. I just love it. And there's just so much like animal love in that city because of the zoo and Fiona the hippo and Charlie Harper, the wildlife illustrator. He's from Cincinnati as well. So it was just so fun, like coming through the airport and being downtown. There's just animal stuff everywhere. Yeah. When I was looking for apartments, um, I had a lead on a place, but it was a three bedroom and I didn't have enough roommates. Uh-huh. Um, so I ended up in the two bedroom that you knew. Uh-huh. This three bedroom, it was right next to the zoo and yeah. it would have been like taking over a lease from somebody. Uh-huh. And they were just like, honestly, it's kind of amazing to like be making coffee in the morning and like hear an elephant in your back, you know, like outside oh there. Gosh. just praying. It's like living in a menagerie. I, oh, that just made my heart flutter. Like I can't even imagine. Like I wouldn't move back there just to do that. But you did have great sound effects in your apartment being right above the rail yard. That's true. That the is like night train sound. One of my favorite moments just in life would be if I would ever have to sleep at your place. Sure. With the barnyard blankie. Um, <laughs> Still have the barnyard blankie. But I would just lay there and hear these beautiful, just like pure high tones just kind of echoing over the night. And yeah. just one of the most beautiful sound experiences I've ever had. Yeah, no, I agree. And it was, the house was kind of like at the top of a hill. So like yeah. looking out my window, you're kind of like looking over kind of a lot. And right. that's where the rail yards were down there. Yeah. And yeah, just these beautiful tones. I, I made a recording of it one night. Oh, you did. But I couldn't tell you which computer or hard drive it's on. <laughs> I was like, I would love to hear that. Yeah, I'm sure it's somewhere. I remember seeing it recently when I was doing some data management. But, you know, it's not like I keep <laughs> records. That's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, well. Great. Great trip down Cincinnati Lane. Yeah, that was a nice little Cincinnati homage in our transient <laughs> anus uh, information <laughs> sesh. So I guess it's a perfect time to take a break. Yeah. Grand Clubby Hammock. Pooch Pouch Edition. Sweet Dreams Technology. Sleep apnea. Patented CPAP cradle. CPUP. 
All right, Meredith, we are back in the listener feedback. Smells like oats. Our first question is from Jonathan in New York. Jonathan writes, I was recently in Miami and noticed the raccoons there are fucking aggressive. What's up with that? What is up with that? I mean, I would say it's just kind of part and parcel to like the proximity to Cuba. So we've just got a lot of caliente personalities going on. Mm, You know, those fiery Cubans. Yeah, a lot of spicy food. A lot of spicy food, a lot of caliente carols. Yeah, I just think it's just how the raccoons are down there. I mean, that's kind of a non-answer, but... Well, that's fair. Do you think that it's a regionality with the raccoons? Do you think that raccoons in Florida are more aggressive than other raccoons? Or I think raccoons everywhere are fucking aggressive. That's what I mean, that's been my experience with them. In my backyard, we had a major groundhog problem. And so we, my dad set up a trap just to, it was like a um, have a heart trap. So just we could like relocate the groundhogs. And we kept catching raccoons and they would just be all hissy and like, thrashing and gnashing of teeth it was just really intense yeah yeah they're kind of you don't want to fuck with one i'd go ahead and say that cincinnati's not super close to cuba either no sure isn't see i guess i just wonder if this is if we're being led to think that raccoons in miami are more fucking aggressive than raccoons anywhere by the wording of this question (laughs) and i'm not sure that they are but i guess i don't really know that many raccoons from miami i don't yeah i don't i've never met one i will say that generally the people from miami are spicier and you know it's like a late night party town it's a beach party zone moment sure so maybe some of that energy rubs off on the raccoons. And if it's a late night party town, that means there's probably more people out and about during the raccoons' prime time. You oh, know? yeah. So sure. maybe they're just pissed that they have to like constantly contend with people. Whereas if they lived in some suburb in Ohio, they could just have their free reign of the night. Hmm. You know, whereas in Miami, they got to share it with, with all the um, revelry. Okay. So it feels like our fish position is that raccoons everywhere are kind of intense. And yeah. late night raccoons are kind of mad that they don't have enough, you know, freedom to yeah. with all these late night revelers. Exactly. And then also just proximity to Cuba and Caliente. Yeah. Uh, person and creaturealities. Yes. So a fish position is what you just said. Ding, 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 ding. ding. <laughs> okay. Sally from Oregon gave us one of our favorite questions, the mate pair feed upon. Here are our animals, Mike. Let's go. So we've got giraffe, a mantis, or a sea anemone. Okay. Mate pair feed upon. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I don't want any funny business with the mantis because I feel like any attempt to mate or pair with the mantis, first of all, it's going to take a very long time just to get close enough. All day affair. And then I'm likely to be decapitated. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm not looking for that. So I'm going to eat that mantis. Okay. Okay. They're delicious if you're a bird. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like a bird. Me too. I don't know. I feel like between the anemone and the giraffe. So what do we have? Again, there's some attraction to the anemone. It's rooted. You know, it's like a partner. You know where it is at all times. It's Mm -hmm. kind of there. Giraffes do kind of have like a real nice neck. You know, like a kind of sexy neck area, if you will. For sure. So I'm inclined to say that I would mate with the giraffe and 
pair with the anemone. But then I look at the anemone and I'm like, I kind of want to mate with the anemone (laughs) and then pair with the giraffe. Like that kind of looks fun. It's just kind of like wiggling around. And, you know, we've talked about their extensive history of dance and the culture of the anemone. And I just feel like any creature that can completely divide itself in half. I mean, it's like it's like the twins. It's like the twins fantasy, potentially. You okay. can live that with the anemone, but I don't think you can with the giraffe. All right. All right. I hear that. So I'm going to, yeah, that's, I'd say I'd mate with the anemone and pair with the giraffe. Yeah, I don't want to mate with a mantis either. So I think I would definitely... I probably will go, you know, animal for animal with you on this. So definitely eating that mantis because I sure as hell do not want to eat a sea anemone. No way. That sounds sick. Sounds really gross. But yeah, so a mantis, I bet fried up, you know, put it in a taco. I bet it's fine. I bet it is. Yeah. Giraffe, like a giraffe haunch doesn't sound shabby either, but like... I just like giraffes too much. I don't want to eat them. Yeah, fair enough. So years ago, I saw this documentary about this guy who loves giraffes, and he said something that always stuck with me. He said the first woman he meets that has eyes as beautiful as a giraffe's, he's going to marry. But then I was thinking, is that would I be more inclined to want to mate with the giraffe because it's so beautiful or pair with it because it's so beautiful? I had a similar struggle. Yeah. Like, do you just want one night of beauty or do you want a lifetime of, like, presumably chaste, you know? I guess that is the other question. If we're pairing, like, in the process of pairing, is there ever any mating? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I would, I think I would still pair with the giraffe because I like their peaceful ways. Yeah. And those long tongues. Well, you know, maybe that's a point in the mating direction. See, I know. It's a tough call. Angelit Squad. Angelit Squad, huh? Yeah, I might actually be kind of split on this. This really is tickling my brain. I don't really know where to go. But I'm also similar to what was it, the tarantula that I wanted to meet with? Um, just to see how just to it, see how it works. Work. Yeah, just yeah. to see how it works. I, I'm curious about the sea anemone. I know, and the you did say tickle, and that's the entire <laughs> premise of the anemone is tickling. Oh, I, you know? I know, it's true. So yeah, I think I'm kind of split on this. I'm definitely eating that mantis, but between mating and pairing with the giraffe or the sea anemone, I think. But I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't necessarily want to pair with the sea anemone. Though. I don't think the sea anemone would be that much fun over time. Right. I think that the sea anemone's concept of time is very different than ours. It must be. But I. I feel like the giraffes is a similar. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I would pair with the giraffe in hopes that one day it might turn into a mating relationship. Uh-huh. And then just have a one night stand with the anemone. We're in agreement. Okay. Cool. Ding, like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> this next question is from Abby Case. Esteemed friends. Oh. Oh, you're an esteemed friend, Abby. Yeah, she's definitely an esteemed friend. Why do dogs and cats and other animals have four legs? Why don't they have two arms and two legs? See, I think the answer to this is simple. Because if animals like dogs and cats had two arms and two legs, then we'd have to put shirts and pants on them. But if we just have four legs, we just forego the pants and they get to go naked. I mean, it's fairly straightforward, right? That's... It is fairly straightforward, Meredith. My concern is that, like, where do dog sweaters fit in all of this? That Those were the gears that are you saw turning over. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do love a dog in a t-shirt. I think it's, like, in a human t-shirt. 
That's like really one of my top. favorite things. Oh my gosh. And they're starting yes. to sell cute little dog shorts with like little tail holes. Ugh, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm all about a t-shirt or a tank top on a golden retriever, but the shorts too far. Okay. Here's my thought is that you put legs on the ground. Yeah. And hands are for other stuff. Yeah. And although we are not alone in our having hands thing, I would say that other primates generally have hands. Yes, they do. And they are not necessarily bipedal, like but they put their hands on the ground. But like uh-huh. in general, their hands are then free to do stuff, you know. Right, right. Once they're still. Right. Whereas I would feel like dogs, they can't, some of them can stand up on their hind legs, but they're not really built for that. No, that's like a, they wouldn't necessarily do that if it weren't for humans training them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's kind of how I, because I think of wings as being analogous to arms as opposed right. to analogous to legs. Sure. Totally. But again, like with wings, those are their own things because they don't have like grippies. Yeah. That's I would also funny. say that frogs, I would call the front legs on a frog their arms. Yeah. But that might be like a misnomer. So interesting. Do we eat frog arms or is it just the back legs that people eat? I don't know. Huh. So interesting. What a quandary you've gotten us in, Abby. Yeah. Um. I don't know that there's like a... Is the fish position that we don't really know? Yeah, I think so. But I liked your description. It's like legs are on the ground. Yeah, legs are for ground. And then arms are for other things. Yeah, exactly. I think we'll just go with that. Okay. Well, the fish position is legs are for the ground and arms are for other things. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. 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 Cool. Uh, Keep the questions coming, everybody. Animal Fan Club Pod at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty exciting time here at the clubhouse. It's December 31st, and yeah. it's 11.59. We're starting oh, the countdown. Oh, oh my here gosh. we go. It's a 10, 10 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, one. Happy, Happy New Year! Plug <laughs> out alpacas, bees for seals, and narwhal birds told them all. listenership in 2019 and look forward to your continued loyalty in 2020 raise a hoof talons up claspers engage for a brighter tomorrow through a love for animals and don't forget to send your feedback questions to animal fan club pod at gmail.com god bless frog Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. 
Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.